So that, that video was talking about parenting and how important fatherhood is. I want you to think about parenting in a different way. It's discipleship. It's discipleship. You're not trying to make the perfect kid so you can brag that I have the perfect kids. By the way, there's no such thing. There was one perfect kid. His name's Jesus. He's our, he's our Lord. We're trying to help our kids to become like Jesus. To understand they have a sin nature and that they need Jesus, his forgiveness, and his power to change their hearts and to reorganize all of their thoughts, their dreams, their opinions, their theories, their ideas, and replace those with Jesus' truth and Jesus' agenda. And the greatest agenda he's left for us as a church is to worship, especially by making disciples of Christ. It's what we do. Everyone is supposed to be part of the Great Commission. We prayed over a team this morning going to Mexico. So we have a team in Mexico this week. Please cover them in prayer this week. And um, But they're going to be making disciples and building some homes. But discipleship doesn't only have to happen in Mexico. It doesn't just have to happen here at church, in Sunday school. It doesn't just have to happen when one of the pastors meets for a counseling session. Discipleship should be what your life is about. You being made into a disciple of Christ and then turning around and helping others to be a disciple of Christ. That's what parenting really is. You're helping your children to become disciples of Christ. So with that, let's go back to the text that I read this morning. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 24. And this morning I have four spiritual thoughts that you need to cultivate in order to be a better disciple of Christ. Whenever we use the word cultivate from the pulpit, it means it's something that you have to constantly do and nurture, think about, meditate on. It's not one of those things that you do once and instantly it's done. So Jesus has sent out the 70. Those are 70 disciples. This isn't the 12, not the apostles. Though he may have sent them out as well at this time. But the text specifically says the 70 returned with joy. They're excited. And they're saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The first spiritual thought I want you to cultivate is that we need to keep returning to Christ for more instruction and correction, more more training. So he'd send them out, they would go and do, and they'd come back and report. And they're excited, and you would be too, if the demons were subject to you. And he says, even the demons, they say even the demons, which implies that what? Other people as well were submitting to their authority. That's exciting. Who doesn't like to have authority? Who doesn't like to be in charge? It's okay to be excited about that, but we can tell as the passage unfolds that their excitement was misplaced. They needed correction. They needed instruction. It appears that they were more excited about their own accomplishment and this newfound power and authority. 
And that can easily go straight to your head. It's like they're saying, man, we're rock stars. Everywhere we go, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That's a, that's a whole different perspective. See, Jesus is doing two things here. Number one, of course the demons are subject to you. I gave you that authority, and I was there when my daddy and I cast Satan out of heaven. I was there. I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. He's also saying, be careful. That's what caused Satan to fall from heaven. His pride. I was trying to come up with an analogy, and it would be like if I was invited to go speak out at the Institute. And before I got there, the warden gathered all the inmates and said, we're going to have a speaker today, and anyone who doesn't listen to him will be put in solitary confinement for two months. And then I show up, and I've got this captive audience, and I leave, and my wife says, wow, how did the talk go out at the Institute? Oh, it was awesome. I had a meeting out of my hands. They were hanging on my every word. When you're making disciples of Christ and you're using the Word of God and, and prayer and the Holy Spirit's involved, of course you're going to see miracles, hearts changed. Of course you're going to see improvement in people's lives. If we didn't have that expectation, then what are we doing? Why are you even here today? But be careful that your excitement doesn't turn into pride. When God uses you to do a miracle in someone else's life, maybe speak truth into a failing marriage and, the, and, and they reconcile. And you're like, wow, I fixed a marriage. No, you didn't. Jesus fixed a marriage through your obedience. Take heed lest you fall. And this is especially true in parenting. It's so tempting to want to parent for the goal of your kids looking better than other kids so that you can take the credit and the glory. I'll be honest with you, I like the Growing Kids God's Way curriculum, but the one thing about that curriculum that always bothered me was Gary Ezzo's emphasis on, look, people are going to see how awesome your kids are, and then they'll say, they must have an awesome God. But you always kind of got the sense that it was, boy, you have awesome kids, your pretty awesome parent who has an awesome God. And that's human nature, to insert ourselves into the equation. And of course, you have to be diligent as a parent. Yes, much of the way your kids turns out depends on you. Not all. But how would you know what to teach them if God hadn't revealed it to you? How would you teach them with the right heart if God hadn't worked on your heart? Discipleship, in a nutshell, 
is helping people take their wrong thoughts, their wrong perspective, their wrong perception, and replacing it with the right thoughts, biblical thoughts, the way God sees the world. When I'm parenting my children, I'm not trying to turn them into little copies of me. But like Paul said to Timothy, they can imitate me as much as I am imitating Christ. And someday I need to remove the training wheels, which is me. Remove the middleman. Watch me follow Christ. Watch me follow Christ. Follow Christ. The, the, the watch me eventually gets replaced. You come alongside your kids. You say, I will walk with you as I walk with Christ. Come walk alongside me walking with Christ. And pretty soon you just grab your kid's hand and put it in Jesus' hand. And they've got it. This is what you're doing when you're making disciples of your kids or adults. Brand new believers are children in Christ. We were all babies in Christ. We needed somebody to instruct us. To show us where we've interpreted the world around us wrongly. And replace it with Jesus' perspective. So here's what Jesus is doing here. They're excited, but they've become too excited in their own ability to cast out these demons. And by the way, we've talked about this. This was a special privilege and power. He temporarily gave the 70 and the apostles because their job was to get everyone ready for Jesus' arrival. They were to go out to all the villages and prepare them for the arrival of Jesus. Well, why should we listen to these guys? Because look at this power and authority that they have. But they're supposed to say, this authority we have comes from Jesus and Him alone. If you're looking for someone to put your trust in, put your trust in Jesus. But how easily we could forget that we're ministering in Jesus' name. I love to witness for Christ, but sometimes I forget that I'm witnessing for Christ and that I'm just trying to win an argument. And it becomes this demonstration that I'm a good arguer. I'm a good debate debater. Like the parenting example, I'm supposed to disciple my kids for Christ. And when all that wisdom and prayer produces the good fruit we expected it to produce, I'm surprised at how easily as a dad I want to pat myself on the back. When people come and say, you know, you got some pretty neat kids. <laughs> oh, it didn't just happen. You know, that's, that's the attitude. It would be false humility to say, oh, well, you know, just luck, I guess. No, you can honestly say you had something to do with it, but humbly say, the Lord has taught me how to disciple my children. And by His grace, and I'm doing the best I can, and some days it doesn't look this good. But glory to God that you see godliness in my children. What does John say? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. So the first 
thing you need to cultivate is this constant, I need more instruction and correction from Jesus. I need to return to Jesus. What am I missing? What don't I see? Now, the 70 went directly to Jesus face to face. How do we go back to Jesus? Let's be honest. He's not here physically in the flesh. He is here spiritually. I'm going to say something here. And be very careful you hear me correctly. Otherwise, if you hear me incorrectly, it will come out sounding like heresy. In his humanity... Jesus was limited in the number of people he could disciple face to face. Pastor said Jesus was limited. In his humanity, Jesus was limited in the number of people he could disciple. But through the Holy Spirit... Remember, he said, I need to return to my father and send the helper. And he told his disciples, you'll be able to do far greater things than I was able. And you're like, well, how is that? What did he mean by that? Part of what he meant was the exponential growth of the kingdom of God as we make disciples and those disciples make disciples and those disciples make disciples. Jesus preached to crowds, but you can't disciple a whole crowd. You can cover discipleship aspects. You can prime the pump and get the heart ready for Discipleship. So it's good that you come on Sunday and sit under the preaching of God's Word or listen to sermons online or in the car as you commute. It, it primes the pump. It gets the heart soft. But you shouldn't stop there. How do we return to Jesus, as it were? Anywhere the teaching of God's Word and helping us to apply it happens is returning to Jesus and being instructed by him. So sitting under the preaching of God's word, your personal Bible study and prayer, hopefully with a good commentary next to you, so you're interpreting passages correctly, you know how much we've emphasized that from the pulpit. If you don't have the meaning of the scripture, you don't have the scripture. Attending Bible studies where somebody who's been trained and vetted can explain the Bible and you're sitting with a group of people so you can hear the people of God apply the passage. Teaching Bible studies and teaching Sunday school, this is an important part of your own discipleship. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced how much more you grew in your knowledge of God when you had to teach. There's the hands. We're more diligent when we have to teach. I better get this right. Now, when you're just reading for yourself, you, you, should, you better get it right. But there's something about the accountability of making disciples, which I believe is one of the reasons God has called all of us to make disciples. You're far more intentional when you're teaching others. You ask more questions. You want to, and then you say, well, how can I present this in such a way that the person I'm discipling will get it? Being discipled. Many people have never asked to be discipled. By the way, when you come in for a counseling appointment with the pastor, you are being discipled. You've let secular psychology replace the word discipleship with counseling. 
Counseling's a biblical word too. It just has baggage in it now. You know, I'm not that messed up. I don't need counseling. We all need counseling. The Holy Spirit is, another name for the Holy Spirit is counselor. It's another name for Jesus, right? In Isaiah, around Christmas time, we talk about the wonderful counselor. There's a stigma attached to going for counseling. I need counseling. I'm glad I didn't hear an amen from my family. (laughs) So each of us should be discipled and then turn around and make disciples, right? The Paul-Timothy model. Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Unless you're a brand new, like, fresh, born-again Christian... You should be discipling others. Maybe you start with the three or the four-year-old class. Sir, truly, you must know more about Jesus than, than a four-year-old. I guess the hard part of teaching four-year-olds is the classroom management. So, but don't be afraid that You don't have anything to say to them about Jesus. Of course you do. So much easier to start discipling someone from childhood. Because remember, if discipleship is replacing all those wrong thoughts with right thoughts, if you get a disciplee who becomes a believer later in life, you've got a lifetime of bad thinking to replace. Layer by layer by layer by layer. So I am so thankful that our church put so much of its resources into discipling children. It takes humility to ask to be discipled. You have to recognize that you need training. You need correction. I'm going to brag on Nathan because he's not here. He's got a little touch of the stomach flu. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> and um, he had told me he was, he was asked another family in church if they could help him with child training. You know, it's hard for a pastor to ask other people for help. Kind of like we were doing really good, and then she turned two, (laughs) right? And you're like, of course you need help. You've never done this before. You've never done this before. People come in, they need help with their marriage, and they're embarrassed and ashamed. And I'm like, you need help. None of us have done this. And the ones that have don't have a great track record out there. It's hard. You need help. And so he went to a a family. They had him over and said, you know, just watch us be a family. Watch how child training can happen naturally in the flow of life and how it can also happen. Hey, we're sitting down to do family worship You could do this. You could have somebody over. Whatever they're going through. Doesn't always have to happen here at church. But God has given us the church to equip the saints. I want you to know that sometimes you being the discipler is much better than the pastor's doing it. There's this tendency to say, oh, you've got to go talk to my pastor. He, he can tell you. See, you need trust to make a disciple. 
There has to be a teachable heart. And you've spent that time building trust. I haven't with that person. So when you send them in to talk to me, it could take two or three sessions of just listening and weeping with those who weep. And often they're like, well, you wouldn't understand because you're a pastor and there's nothing wrong with your life, you know. And then you're, you're like, well, I hope my wife forgives me for this, but I'm going to air out some of our laundry just to build some trust. You know, hey, does this sound familiar? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's my house too. Yeah. You already have that trust with the person. And if we're going to say that only the pastors have the magic formula, then the glory doesn't go to Christ, it goes to the pastors. And it doesn't empower the people to say, look, your problems aren't as unique as you think they are. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10? There's no temptation that has overtaken you. That is not common to man. Been there, done that. We can help each other because we have the answers here. I am happy to report that we're just about done with our official discipleship center. It's where the church library used to be. Many of you are like, we have a church library? Yeah. It, it was a wonderful resource over the years, but with the advent of technology, you know, rooms full of thousands of books isn't what the next generation is doing. I love a room full of books. <laughs> But you walk into a library and there's thousands of books and, and you feel overwhelmed. I don't know which one to read. And so what we've done is we've created a space in there that is, uh, um, it says, it almost says home. There's a couch and some comfortable chairs. Uh, almost kind of looks living roomish, Like when you're watching HGTV and the big reveal at the end. You know, it's very inviting. But there is um, a section of books in there. And these are the books written by other Christians who've been gifted by God to explain certain discipleship issues that come up over and over and over again. And we have found that when we make disciples, these books are very powerful tools in helping people understand the issue. And you'll find yourself discipling someone and their heart is open and they're teachable and they're ready to learn. And you go, you know what? That book by Jerry Bridges, Trusting God, Even When Life Hurts. Have you read that one, Trusting God? Any hands? I see one. You know, this is like a book where I would love to see almost every hand go up. Life hurts. If it hasn't yet, then you're on a lucky streak. <laughs> that book, I have used so much in discipleship. And what happens is, is you give your copy to someone and it doesn't come back and you're fine with that because you hope they pass it on to someone. But when you're in the moment and that window to the soul is open and they're ready to receive and you need that book right now and it's not there, and you go, you know what? I'll order you a copy. I'll tell you nine times out of ten, the window closes. By the time the book comes in, life has happened and you never get around to getting them the book. And so what we're going to do is stock the Discipleship Center with multiple copies of these books. And they'll be by category. And so... That's a place you know you can reserve the room, come in and talk to someone and say, hey, here's this book. It's been very powerful in my life. Why don't you read chapters 1 and 2 
and we'll meet again next week. And so that's one of the ways that the room can be, can be utilized. Point number two, we need to keep rejoicing in Christ for our salvation, not our superiority. And I've already touched on this. As you become a better disciple of Christ, your life ought to look better. If it didn't, what's the point? But it's not so that you can look better than everybody else. It's so you can glorify God and be a better worker in his kingdom. And so Jesus tells the disciples, hey, yeah, that's great. The demons are subject to you. Yeah, I gave you that authority. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. See, focusing on our salvation does a couple things for us. Number one, it puts all the focus on Christ. I couldn't save myself. I was a wreck. And I was more of a wreck than I thought. You know, when I feel pretty good about myself, when I look at the cross, I say, did you really have to come and die? Like, I wasn't that bad. Evidently, I am. Evidently, you are. This was how terrible our sin and rebellion is when compared to a perfect, holy, righteous God. You need to get your focus off you being this like self-improvement project. This is the, what our world does because they don't know Christ. All the inspirational speakers, motivational speakers, all the self-help books. It's all about you becoming a better you for you. You could be more impressive and you could be more fulfilled and you could feel better about yourself. We know that's wrong and we know not to do that. But you have a residual sin nature even if you're saved. It creeps back into play, doesn't it? And as our world gets farther and farther from Christ, it's pretty easy to look good and feel pretty good about yourself. But we're not supposed to be comparing ourselves horizontally to others. We're supposed to compare ourselves to Christ. That's our target. And when we make Christ the target, we realize I'll never get there. That's why you rejoice that your name is written in heaven. God wrote your name in the book of life before you became perfect in Christ. It's so humbling. It brings humility back into your life. Paul says that he, he won't boast except in one thing. Right? His salvation. Because he understood, I can't take credit for my salvation. It's Without my salvation, sanctification can't happen. So even if you're growing in sanctification and you're doing really well, God still gets all the glory. And if you stall out, you, you take the blame. But you get the grace to kickstart the engine and, and get back on the road to sanctification. When we're rejoicing in our salvation, another thing this will do for us is give us the proper motivation for making disciples. It's... It's not to walk around and say, I've got my life all put together. Let me help you all 
Get your life put together. Now, it, it makes us go out and say, I was lost and now I'm found. Don't you want to be found too? Come on, let me introduce you to Jesus. Come meet Jesus. Point number three, we need to keep reminding ourselves that Jesus does the revealing. Luke 10, 21, at that time, at that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father. By the way, here we have the Trinity in view. God the Son in the Spirit, praising the Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. If you're claiming to know spiritual truth, then you need to come to grips with the fact that Jesus just said he's revealed these things not to the wise and intelligent. If you know anything about Jesus, it means you are not in the category of the wise and intelligent. It doesn't mean you don't have intelligence or wisdom. He's speaking about those in the world that consider them the wise and the intelligent. But you reveal them to infants. Infants need everything revealed to them. Right? They, don't, they come in the world knowing nothing. They need everything revealed to them. They need their world interpreted for them. It's why you can tell your children just about anything when they're little and they'll believe you. So you got to be careful. Right? They're, they're a bit gullible. But because of our sin nature, that same child that is so gullible and will believe anything will turn around a second later and go, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And become completely unteachable. And so it's why Jesus uses that analogy of being born. Christians are those who are born again. We've become infants again. We're recognizing that I don't know. I have no power to accomplish anything in my own strength. I have no ultimate knowledge without it being revealed to me. I'm I'm a baby. I'm an infant. I need a father in heaven. And he says, yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. God is a being. He has a will. God has desires. And doing it this way, the discipleship way, is well-pleasing to him. which ought to encourage you to be part of the discipleship process. To be discipled and to make disciples is well-pleasing to God. There's other ways he could have done this. This is the way he's chosen to do it. Jesus says, this way is well-pleasing in your sight. I have to admit that sometimes I'm not motivated to make disciples or evangelize because people are hard-headed and ungrateful and prideful. Their lives are messy. And there's times where we all just want to say, gosh, these people just need to get their act together. And you forget that Your act wasn't together. Somebody reached out to you. Somebody was patient with you. Somebody taught Sunday school or VBS, prayed for you, put up with you because they knew 
there was hope that this wasn't the finished product. That there's always hope that God can change hearts. But we get so caught up in our lives and our agenda and what we need to do that the thought of taking time to pour into someone else's life doesn't sound appealing. But when we hear that this is well-pleasing to the Father, then we can get excited about discipleship. When I choose to engage in discipleship, it's well-pleasing to God. Not that I have to earn God's love. His salvific love is secured by my faith in Christ. It's not like one day he's like, yeah, I don't like Brent anymore. He's unsaved now. And then like I have a good day, whatever a good day is. You know, by God's standard, there is no good day. Even if you did everything right, you wouldn't do it with the right motives. Until we get to heaven and we're perfected. But we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant, by focusing on the things that God says are pleasing to him. What's well pleasing to him? That spiritual truth is revealed to the not wise, not intelligent, but the infants. Yes, spiritual babes are messy. It is messy. A lot of diapers to change. Sometimes people are appreciative of discipleship. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're appreciative and then all of a sudden they're mad at you because you touched a nerve. Sometimes you pour into somebody's life and make a disciple and then they turn around and they publicly thank someone else, like your kids. You teach them and you teach them and you teach them and you teach them and then they come home from Bible study and they say, Nathan's awesome. <laughs> Guess what I learned? And you have to just be excited. Because it happens to Nathan too, trust me. Which also tells us that God does the revealing. He may do it through you. But I've spent hours sometimes discipling, and it was like, hello, any of this getting through? Nope. But don't give up if they keep coming back. Keep the communication open. Keep the lines of communication open. Don't say, well, the Word of God didn't work. Let's try something else. Don't, don't give up. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Our job is to be faithful, to disciple But God, in his timing, and it says here, anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. God will have to do the revealing. That keeps me humble as I disciple others, and it actually gives me encouragement. I had a successful day as a Christian if I chose To make disciples. Even if they didn't change immediately before my eyes in the way that I was hoping for, that's not the definition of success. A successful day as a Christian is being obedient to the Lord and trusting Him for the results. And who's to say that even though you didn't see the change happen right there, that change wasn't happening? in the heart, and you just hadn't seen it yet. Finally, point number four, 
we need to keep rehearsing that blessedness is seeing and hearing Jesus. Love it. Perfect worship song. The last worship song today. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my joy. You're my rest. You're my all my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. And yet... The residual sin in our heart and the culture we live in is not saying that knowing Jesus is what is the source of blessedness. And the Christian life gets hard. And with social media, you can become convinced that everyone else out there is having all the fun. And I give up on this whole discipleship thing. It's too hard. I'm not seeing any fruit. I'm tired. The sheep bite. I feel pretty happy where I am in my sanctification. It's good enough. I'll go pursue worldly distractions. I'm done with people. But Jesus, turning to the disciples, said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear them, uh, which you hear, and they did not hear them. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. The Old Testament saints would trade places with us in a heartbeat to know the things we get to know. The privileged information you have as a New Testament saint to know the mysteries of the gospel, to know the Trinity, to know the plan of salvation, to know the book of Revelation and how it's all going to sum up. And to be able to share this with other people. So they too can have joy and blessedness and excitement about life and hope for the future. And to know their salvation is secure in Christ. And the billions and billions of people on this planet hoping they've done enough good works. Never knowing. Thinking God is far off and aloof when he is so near and intimate. Don't give up on discipleship. It's what it's all about. What it's all about. If you give up on discipleship, you're giving up on God. If you call yourself a Christian and you give up on discipleship, there's no such thing as being a Christian and not being involved in discipleship. We're followers of Christ who make followers of Christ. You can't remove any part of the equation and still be Christian. You might be tired. But God will give you rest and he'll give you the strength. You may have tired yourself out because you thought it was your job to fix everybody. It's not your job. You're not sovereign. You don't you're not omnipotent. Yes, you've got extended family members. And the more people you meet, the more problems you're privy to. It's not your job to fix everyone's problems. But it is your job to encourage people to go to the Savior and put off that wrong thinking and replace it with right thinking. Making disciples. So don't ever... Stop returning to Jesus for instruction and correction and training. If you know someone who's not coming to church or they stopped attending small groups or not going to Bible studies and they're just distancing themselves, bring them back to the sheepfold. I've learned enough about Jesus, everything I'll need for the rest of my life. No, no. Don't ever stop rejoicing in your salvation. First thought of the morning. 
No matter what happens today, Jesus loves me. What could go wrong? Oh, sure, plenty, I know. I'm not being trite, but realistically, if God is for me, who can be against me? If nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, I can get out of the bed in the morning and go make disciples. Become a better disciple, go make disciples. That's my, that's my marching orders. I'm going to work to make money to help my family and give to kingdom work, but also because there's people there that need to be discipled. Be on the lookout for those God-ordained opportunities. And you start seeing people in that light instead of that grumpy coworker I can't stand. I wish they'd get transferred to another department. No, that's somebody that needs Jesus. Don't ever forget that truth has to be revealed. So go to the source of revelation and make sure you're bringing other people to the source of revelation and trust God to do the revealing in his timing. And finally, don't ever stop rehearsing that the true happiness in life is knowing Jesus. So why wouldn't you be all about discipleship? If that's where the true happiness is found, then invest yourself in making disciples. Father, thank you for making us disciples of Christ for tracking us down, for sending your people to find us, to witness to us, to open the eyes of our heart, to receive truth, to give us the grace to believe, the grace to be transformed, the grace to minister in your name. Thank you for the joy that this has brought us to be able to go to bed at night and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't waste this day on yourself. To see somebody grow closer to Jesus, there's no greater joy. May we affirm with the scriptures that there's no greater joy than to know that our children are walking in truth. May we walk in truth knowing that it gives you great joy. Thank you for being our perfect Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day again. God bless you.